God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Take your Bibles out if you have them. Hopefully you do. And uh, we're going to be picking up on um, a series uh, about church membership, and I'm calling this Church Membership Essentials. And so uh, I'm really trying to answer the often asked question about what it means to be a member of this church, this church, because that's really what matters in this setting. Different churches have different um, meanings when they talk about what it means to be a member, different requirements, and, uh, and I want to make it clear what it means to be a member of Apostolic Tabernacle. And, and really, in the kingdom of God, you're not just a member of a church, you're a member of the body of Christ. And so, as a member of this church, uh, you're not just a member here, you're a member of a body of millions of believers, apostolic believers around the world who believe what the Bible says. And that's our goal, to be a part of the body of Christ. And so that's what we talked about last time we were together. And, uh, and I want to do a quick review, and I'll take you to the next slide. The very first point, we're being as simple as possible and uh, because I want to be very, very clear. And also, let me say, this also answers the question for people who ask me things like, what do I need to do to be uh, on the praise team or to sing or to... Uh, to speak or to be a Sunday school teacher or to be in leadership of some kind or to be involved. These are the questions that are, are asked of me quite often. And the very first thing you have to do is to be a member, to be a member of the church. And uh, so some of these are simple and then it progresses. So the first thing we looked at last time was to be faithful to church services. Can everyone say amen? Be faithful to church services. You cannot uh, imagine if you were a part of, of, of a company or an organization or uh, a family or a job and you just never showed up when important things were happening. You never showed up for the meetings. You never showed up for the gatherings. Well, then you're really not a, a vital member and a vital part of what's happening. The first thing you have to do before you can lead anything is to show up. Amen? You've got to be there. You've got to be faithful to services. And we looked at the scriptures for that. Uh, you know... Many years ago, uh, I, I had one of those bosses, and he wasn't my boss long. The reason he wasn't my boss long is they fired him, and I took his job. And the reason they fired him is because he was one of these people who wanted to be in charge, but he never wanted to be at work. Anyone ever known anyone like that before? They, they wanted position, and they wanted to be in front of people, and they wanted to be in charge, and they wanted the blessings of a job, but they didn't want to be there and be a part of what was happening. So he was famous for, uh, he'd show up to work, and he'd be there for about an hour, and he'd putter around, and then he would disappear for about eight hours, and then at the end of the, the day, he would come back, and he would just kind of act like he'd been there all day long, and then he, we'd all go home, and then he would do that all over again. Now, he was not faithful, amen? He had a title. He called himself an employee. He called himself a manager in that position, but he was not qualified to call himself that. And so eventually he lost it officially. You know, that's how a lot of people approach the kingdom of God. They, they want to kind of be in and out and, and show up once in a while and kind of give the, uh, the illusion of involvement, and then they want to be involved when they want to be involved. And when it's promotion time, when it's time for a raise, when it's time for a blessing, 
when it's time for a miracle, when it's time for a healing, all of those things, then suddenly they want to be there. But that's not how it works in the world, and it's not how it works in the kingdom of God. You have to be faithful to God's house. Amen? All right, that's number one. That one's very simple. Number two is to be accountable. Everyone said be accountable. And, and this, to be accountable... Uh, is important on several levels. First, in a, in a church paradigm, you have to be accountable to God, right? So, uh, and, and that's a very important point because you're accountable to the ministry, you're accountable to your pastor, but you're accountable to God first. So what does that mean? That means that if I tell you to do something wicked, you're accountable to God. And I have relinquished my role as a man of God. If I try to convince you to do something wicked, I have relinquished my role as a man of God. And you need to reject what I tell you, and you need to obey God. So we obey God first, always, in all things, we obey God first. But then secondly, God is the great shepherd, and he has placed under shepherds, so we must be accountable to pastoral authority. I believe with all of my heart that you cannot be right with God if you're not right with God's man. Why? Because it's God's man. God put them there. God placed them there. And, uh, and so many people say, well, I'm right with God, but I'm just not right with ministry. Well, it doesn't work that way because it's God's ministry. And if the ministry is imperfect, then God will deal with the ministry. We talked about that uh, last time. Uh, ministers who do not minister in a godly fashion will answer to God in a dramatic way on Judgment Day. Absolutely. If I mislead people when it comes to the Word of God, if I lead people in error, if I lead people in sin, it's going to be very hard for me on Judgment Day. Very, very hard for me on Judgment So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about policing uh, 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 every little thing because God's going to take care of that. But when you have godly authority, everyone said godly authority. Now, when I say godly authority, does that mean that I'm assuming that you're going to agree with everything that authority does? No. What is that called? When you don't agree and and you are obedient anyway, that's called submission. And that's exactly what uh, Peter talked about on several occasions. He said, submit yourselves. But we don't like that, do we? We don't like the idea of submission. But uh, submission begins where agreement ends. If you, if you only are under authority when you agree, then you're just walking in agreement. The only time you're submitted, truly submitted, is when you disagree and you submit anyway. Now, I've already established that that doesn't mean that Uh, a minister can tell you to do something sinful or ungodly. Why? Because we're accountable to who first? We're accountable to God first. So we're talking about issues that would not be sin areas. Sin is sin, regardless of what a man tells you. But oftentimes there are things that have to do with uh, the smooth functioning of the body, and there are areas uh, that are not always uh, black and white, and you need to submit to godly authority because they're the watchmen on the wall. Uh, Oftentimes God will give a minister insight into things that you can't see. A minister can see enemies in the distance and he can see weak spots in armor that God shows him that you can't see. 
And so you need to be submitted and believe that uh, this is my shepherd. He's watching for wolves. And so he sees an area in my life that might be a danger zone. And I may not like it, but I need to be obedient because he is watching for my soul. That is what an under-shepherd is. It's someone who watches for your soul and is, is endeavoring to keep the danger out of your life. And so you have to be accountable. And then you have to be accountable to one another. We need to be accountable to one another. You know, if, uh, if, if, if you were to miss church on uh, three or four times and nobody called you, you'd probably feel bad. And, you know, a pastor as a church grows, you know, we can't call everybody and we can't always uh, be... Uh, observing every single person who may not be here, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we ought to be connecting with one another and caring about one another. And uh, if you sit near someone and you notice they're not there, you ought to make an effort to find out what's going on. Are they sick? Are they hurting? Are they weak? I want to make an effort. What is that? That's being accountable one to another. We're not being pushy. We're not being hurtful, but we care. And so we create accountability. What's going on in your life? If you see someone struggling, you say, how can I help you? What's going on? That's being accountable one to another. And we talked about that. For, let me read 1 Peter 5 and 1 through 4. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, everyone said shepherd, talking about pastor, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Everyone said oversight. That word is loaded. It means a lot of things. It means watchfulness, but oversight also means that they're in your care. They're in your watchful care. And, uh, and so if you, if you uh, as a parent, if you have a child in your care, you have oversight over them. So you have a responsibility to be watching and to also be overseeing to the point where if, uh, if you see your child going into a danger area, because you have oversight, you take them and you pull them away from danger. That is the authority that God's given a pastor. Now, the difference between a parent and a pastor is that a pastor cannot force his oversight into your life. You have to allow it into your life. A pastor can't force his authority into your life. You have to allow it into your life. By the same token, Jesus will not force his authority in your life. God could make every one of us do the right thing all the time, and we'd just be little godly robots. God doesn't do that. And if God can't do that, I can't do that. If God won't do that, I won't do that. All I can do is be the watchman on the wall and give the warning and protect this church and protect this platform. I can't make you be saved, and I can't make you do the right thing. Nobody can. You have to allow that authority into your life. In many ways, it's like a child. You know, a, a child uh, can, has, to, has to accept parental authority until a certain age. And then they're going to do whatever they want to do. And if, at, when a child is grown, if they keep parental authority in their life, they, they do that willingly. They do that because they desire to have that good influence in their life out of love. And that's how it is in the church. If you're going to have good, godly pastoral authority, it's not because you can't do whatever you want. We all know that you can. You do it because you want that authority in your life, because you want to be right with God. Amen? So we have to be accountable. That is a requirement for church membership. Number three. Number three. Here's the one where everyone's going to get a little tight. So take a deep breath. Smile real big. 
talking about church membership. Give and support the church with time. Everyone said time. Time. And finances. Time and finances. Let's look at Proverbs 11.24. It says, you thought I was going to read where it says, uh, you know, bring your tithes into the storehouse and and, uh, you know, would a man rob God? Yet you've robbed. You thought I was going to read one of those, but I'm going to read Proverbs 11:24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Amen? So one person gives freely, liberally, willingly, with gladness. Remember, the New Testament says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. God does not want the church to have to uh, twist your arm to give to the kingdom of God. It's not the will of God for uh, a pastor to have to beg you to give. Uh, The church shouldn't have to be uh, begging children of God to support the house of God. If, If you're having to be begged to support the house of God, you are not a child of God. Hello? No, you're not, because you're not invested. We have finances for what we want. Isn't it amazing how that works? It really is amazing how that works. We invest in the things that we care about. Um, You know, we have a diverse crowd here with different interests and likes and dislikes, but I could go through the list. I did it recently. When you go through the list of, of things that Americans spend their money on, and I don't mean rich Americans, I mean average income Americans that, that they spend their money on. And then typically, if you're like me, uh, you, you wind up saying, well, I don't have any money for that. But in reality, we don't have money for certain things because we prioritize other things. If you're not able to give your 10% tithes to the house of God, it's because you've prioritized something else. If you're not able to give offerings to the house of God, it's not because you don't have anything. It's because you prioritize something else. Now, I'll hear people say something like, well, you don't know my bills, and I don't know, and you don't know my bills. Praise the Lord. Bless God. We all have bills, but here's the thing about Americans, the average American. We, we pay our bills first, hopefully, and then you go down the list. I was just looking at it. Starbucks. Now, not everyone in this room, but some people just felt a surge of Holy Ghost conviction just wash over them. Did you know that the average Starbucks, I don't even know what to call addict. No, I'm just kidding. The average Starbucks uh, addict, I'm just going to keep saying that because it's fun. Uh, They will spend $100 a week at Starbucks. That's $400 a month. But I don't have anything to give God. I don't go to movies. I've never been to a movie in my, in my entire life. I don't believe in doing it. I don't think you should. I think it's an ungodly environment. But did you know that people who do go to movies that can't support the kingdom of God, do you know that uh, they're averaging, by the time they buy popcorn and a beverage and everything else, and they take four people, they're averaging $170 at a movie theater? But I can't give to the kingdom of God. Gym memberships, you put it all together. We've got gym memberships. We've got coffee addictions. We've got entertainment choices. We've got hunting and fishing and golfing. See, I might be hitting on someone else's favorite thing here. You know, uh, I have a friend 
who averages $10,000 a year on hunting alone. But he doesn't have anything to give God. Why? Because we have money for what we care about. If you want a nice steak, you're going to prioritize finances for a nice steak. If you want something, we have a way, we have a tendency. It's human nature. We, we tend to, if we really want something bad enough, we're going to find a way to make that happen. It's amazing how, you know, I know for me, I like to buy guns. Some of you don't know that, but I enjoy uh, owning guns. And, uh, um, and, you know, it's amazing. If I want to, I can, I can come up with all of these reasons why, you know, I, I think I might have the finances. to. I really, and then the Lord will convict me and say, but, you know, there might be something better you could do with that. But it's all about priorities, isn't it? It's all about prioritizing. But here's what God says. God says, if you will prioritize me, I will prioritize you. Do you want the blessings of God? Put God first. Do you want God to care about your finances? Then care about the kingdom of God. Do you want God to, to uh, invest in your home, into your life, into your future? How, how many want God to invest in your future, to invest in your life, to put his favor on, on your finances, your job, your family, your health, all of those things? Now, I'm not preaching name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, but I am preaching the principle that God gives us that it is more blessed to give than to receive, that we are called to be faithful with our finances to the kingdom of God, and then God blesses us in return for that. In fact, the Bible says that he blesses us in such a way that we can't even contain the blessing. We can't even hold the blessing because God will pour out blessings in our lives when we're faithful to him. But the reality is very, very simple. You know, I could quote tons and tons of scripture, and I could be very, very, very theological, and I could give all kinds of uh, I could give all kinds of flowery stories, but in the end, it really comes down to this. You either prioritize the kingdom of God with your time and your finances, or you don't. You will prioritize the things that you care about. Sports. Right? Lots and lots of time and money go into sports. We prioritize what we care about. So what you have to ask yourself, without me waxing theological, you have to search your heart and say, what do I care about? You have to answer that question. And let me tell you something that every corporate uh, company knows, that every advertiser knows, that every politician knows, that every lawyer knows, that every business person knows. If you want to find out what people care about, follow their money. The, all I would have to do to know just about everything about everyone in this room is to have your bank statement and look at everything you spend your money on, and I'll know who you are and what you care about. Why do you think advertisers spend billions of dollars to basically steal people's financial records and find out what they're spending their money on? Because they know everything about that person. How do you think you're getting when you're on the Internet or you're on Facebook, for those of you who are, Twitter, and you suddenly get an advertisement about something that... Uh, you, how, you wonder, how did they know that I'm interested in that? They know because they know your bank records. They know what you care about. They know what you prioritize. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I prioritizing the kingdom of God or not? 
And only you can answer that question. It's not my job to run around and ask you that every day. You have to answer that question. But if you want to be a member of the body of Christ, you have to prioritize the kingdom of God with time and finances. Amen? All right, everyone breathe. We're going to go to the next slide. That one's over, and you can throw stones at me later. Okay, now, this is vital for church membership. Don't just ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church. That's kind of a variation of what Kennedy said many years. You know, don't just ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I think that that is how uh, members of the body of Christ should view the kingdom of God. It's not just what, what can the kingdom do for me. It's what can I do for the kingdom? And when you start asking that question, when you start finding areas of need and you start finding where, where can I be of service in the kingdom of God, where can I help, where can I be best used, then you start finding your purpose. And by the way, that's also when you start finding promotion in the kingdom of God. Acts 20 and 35 says this, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'm not just talking about finances here. I'm talking about your talent, your energy, your resources, ways that you can just get involved and do something. Everyone said, do something. Do something. You ought to find something that you can do for the kingdom of God. God has not called any of us to just come and partake of the kingdom of God. God has called us to be involved in the kingdom of God. And so to do that, we have to start looking and we have to say, okay, maybe in the kingdom of God, I want to do something else, but I see a need over here and I want to fill that need. Now, when you start having that mindset, when you start saying, okay, I realize it, it, I may not feel like I want to be a Sunday school teacher, but I see a need for it and God's convicting me and telling me I need to work in that area. When you start accepting those callings, God will start promoting you into the areas that you desire to be involved in. Here's how it doesn't work in the kingdom of God, and it doesn't work in any kingdom this way, by the way. You can't just walk in and say, I'm only going to do the one thing that I want to do. If I can't do the one thing that I want to do, I won't do anything. Anybody know the attitude I'm talking about? If you're wondering why that sounds familiar to it to you, because if you've ever been around any five-year-old child, that is their mentality. Uh, my son is that way. I have to get on to him all the time. You know, if he can't do what he wants to do, then he's not going to do anything at all. And I have to tell him, well, bub, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you have to do what other people want to do. Sometimes you have to do what needs to be done so that you can do what you want to do. Any adults know what I'm talking about? Any, anybody know what it means to pay bills so that you can go do something else you want to do? Anybody know what it means to clean the house so that you can do something else that you want to do? You got to do laundry. My nemesis is laundry. I'll tell you, uh, I have to repent sometimes because I keep it clean. And, but then I'll, I'll do three or four loads and I'll walk in and I'll realize there's about, there's about three mountains of laundry in my bedroom. And I realize I have to be an adult and do something I don't want to do so that I can have clean clothes tomorrow. Right? 
Sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do. And it's that way in the kingdom of God. You cannot approach the kingdom of God with the mentality that says, I'm only going to do the one thing in the kingdom that I want to do. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit back and let everybody else work. No, whatever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your soul. Get involved. Find something to invest in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you're a receiver and you're never a giver find a way to be giving of your time and your talent did you know that god wants your talent he wants your energy god wants the things that you're good at every single person in this room is good at something that you could use for the kingdom of god everybody in this room has a skill that you could use for the kingdom of god but you've got to find the area and it won't always it won't always happen the way you think it's going to happen sometimes you'll think I'm best suited for this, but God knows that you're best suited for something else. And you've just got to say, okay, I'm going to get involved, whatever I can do. And then the Lord will begin to move you into areas that you're most comfortable with. All right, next slide. Moving very quickly here. Now, this is along that same thought. Along that same thought. Find a ministry. Everyone said a ministry. And find a way to serve. Find a ministry. Find a way to serve. Mark 9:35. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, this is Jesus, if anyone would be first, everyone said first. He must be last of all, everyone said last, and a servant of all. This is one of the great conundrums of Christianity. It's it's kind of a paradox. It's hard to wrap our minds around it. But in the kingdom of God, if you're going to be great, you have to be the least. If you're going to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to receive, you've got to give. It's, it's opposite of everything that our flesh tells us. It's opposite of everything that the world tells us. It's, it's the opposite of selfishness. Amen? Really, you can boil it all down. When Jesus talks about these things, it's, it's the opposite of self-promotion. In the kingdom of God, there is no business for self-promotion. In the kingdom of God, selfishness has no place. Now, does that mean we never feel selfish? Of course not. We're humans, and we have to fight that. But the key is we have to recognize selfishness and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crucify my flesh. I'm not going to allow myself to be selfish because I cannot be Christ-like and selfish at the same time. Amen? I just can't. I can't be Christ-like and selfish at the same time. And so what that means is I've got to find a way to serve. And, you know, sometimes when we say, uh, well, I'm going to be a minister. What we mean is, well, I'm going to lord over people, or I'm going to have, I'm going to have promotion, or I'm going to have, I'm going to be visible, and people are going to respect me. That should never be anyone's goal in ministry. Ministry is servanthood. Ministry is serving others selflessly. It's working in the kingdom of God. And and let me just tell you, in today's world, if you're looking to be a, a minister and for respect, you've got you've got a rude awakening coming. Okay, don't do it for that reason. Do something else if you're if you're hungry for self promotion and respect. Go to Hollywood, whatever. Wait tables until you get some kind of big deal. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God in God's eyes, then you have to be willing to be a servant. Here's the thing, and this is what many Christians miss. You know. I do desire to be respected. I desire to be well thought of. I desire to be liked. 
by God. I want God to think well of me. When I stand before the Lord, I want God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want him to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You know, there's a lot of very, very important people on this earth who are known and respected and people take care of them and they have all kinds of things and they're going to stand before the Lord and the Lord's going to say, I don't know you. And there's going to be a lot of humble people who picked up trash and helped people and gave to others and and worked selflessly and and they were hurt by people, but they didn't allow it to make them bitter. And they were looked down on by people. They were lowly and despised and rejected. By the way, that's exactly how the Bible described Jesus. There's a lot of people who the world is laughing at, looking down on, thinking they're losers and all of those things. But when they stand before the Lord, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It starts with servanthood. And so we have to find a way to serve. If you're not serving, you're not a servant. Hello? If you're not serving, you're not a servant. If you're not busy about the Father's business, you're not a servant. You're an observer. There's a difference between an observer and a servant. A servant does what the master tells them to do. And so when God says go, we go. When God says sacrifice, we sacrifice. When God says worship, we worship. When God says something in his word, we do it. When God says it's time to to pick up a hammer, to pick up a sickle, what would have happened if God would have said to Noah, I want you to build an ark to save your family from judgment. And Noah would have said, well, Lord, I like the idea of being saved, but I'm just not sure about having to work. You know, that's the attitude of a lot of Christians today. I really want to be saved. I sure don't want to go to hell. But boy, having to serve. Wow. People want me to. That means I have to do something. Yeah. If you're not serving, you're not a servant. And if you're not a servant, you're not a minister. And you're not like Christ. And so we have to be the least of all. If you are seeking promotion, you will not receive godly promotion. You'll receive worldly promotion. Godly promotion comes through servanthood first. Amen? All right, next. And I'm moving quickly, and I am going to finish this. This is my favorite one. If you want to be a member of the body of Christ, the apostolic church. It's really simple. I'm simplifying this, but okay. Live for God. Everyone said amen. I mean, really live for God. I don't mean come to to Sunday morning church and look like you're living for God. I mean, live for God. Hello? Live for God and make necessary changes. You know, you will make necessary changes serving the Lord for the rest of your life. Amen? Anybody here been serving the Lord uh, 30 years or more? Just raise your hand. 30 years or more. I have. All right. For those of you that raise your hand, you've been serving the Lord 30 years or more. How many of you have felt convicted recently where God said, you know, you, you need to change that. You, need to, you, you did wrong. You need to stop that. 
If I could get both hands and both feet in the air, I'd do it. Why? Because that's what it means to live for God. Every once in a while, if you've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is going to prick your heart and say, you need to change. You need to stop doing that. You, you need to quit that. You, every once in a while, when you're serving the Lord, you're going to be reading the Bible, and the Bible, something's going to stand out to you, and you're going to realize, I've, I've been doing something that the Word tells me not to do, and I need to stop it. That's the difference between a servant and an observer. When a servant realizes that a change needs to be made, they make the change. Now, I can understand people who uh, have ignorance. We've all been ignorant about the things of God. And so we've done things out of ignorance. But when you realize that a change needs to be made and you refuse to make the change, what is that called? Rebellion. Pride. Resistance. Quenching the spirit. All of those things are contrary to serving the Lord. So we have to live for God each day and make necessary changes. 2 Corinthians 5.15. And that he died for all, speaking of Jesus, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, apostolics aren't following our hearts. Did you know that? Did you know that we're not even just seeking after happiness? Did you know that? Did you know that's a, nowhere in the Bible does it say search after happiness? No. The scripture says, follow truth. The Bible never says that happiness will set you free. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. And so sometimes the truth seems counterintuitive. The truth feels like it would make you unhappy. And you know what that is? That's your flesh. Because your flesh thinks that things are good for it that are not good for your flesh. And the Spirit knows what's right. And so you, when you're following the Spirit, sometimes you're going to do things that seem, that seem counterintuitive. But if you will follow truth, the truth will set you free. And that's when you find joy. And that's when you find happiness. And that's when you find peace. And that's when the Lord begins to move in powerful ways in your life. All right, next slide. And I'm closing with this. Have faith. Everyone said have faith. And... Believe God for revival. Believe God for revival. 1 Corinthians 2.5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. Can we read that out loud together? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you know faith looks at things that men look at and say, that's impossible. And faith says, but with God, nothing shall be called impossible. Faith walks into a city that is bound by sin, and nobody seems like they want to serve God and do right. And faith says, there's going to be a church in this city. Faith walks into a family that's turned its back on God, and everyone says they're never going to amount to anything. And faith says, God is going to do a revival in this family. 
Faith walks into sickness and, and the doctor says there's no hope. But faith says God is able to do a work in the midst of this situation. Faith walks into a church that's struggling and, and maybe discouraged. And faith says it looks like this church is on the way down. But faith says this church is going to rise because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Faith has a perspective that is not grounded in man's wisdom. Faith rises above opinion. Faith rises above what secular people say. It rises above what the naysayers within the church say. Faith says, I am going to believe God for good things. I'm going to believe God for revival. I'm going to believe God for healing. I'm going to believe God for a touch in spite of what my eyes see. Amen? You know, our faith has nothing to do with what we can see. Anybody ever seen Jesus before? How many believe in Jesus? Because faith has nothing to do with what we can see. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. It would be knowledge. See, a lot of people want knowledge, and they want to call that faith. But knowledge is not faith. Faith is far greater than knowledge could ever be. Faith says, I'm going to take what I seem to know to be true, and I'm going to believe that God is able to turn that situation around. I'm going to tell you what happens when you have faith. Mountains begin to move. Things begin to change. Miracles begin to happen. Circumstances that you never thought would turn around, turn around, because faith is powerful. Faith is what the kingdom of God is built upon. We cannot grow. We cannot have peace. We cannot have joy without faith. Amen. Can we just stand and lift our hands and let's ask the Lord to increase our faith, shall we? Ask God to increase your faith. Lord, right now, I pray that our faith would grow. I pray that it would, even if it starts small, Lord, all we need, you said, is just a kernel, just a grain, just, just a tiny mustard seed, Lord. But I pray that that faith would flourish into something strong, into something powerful. I pray that that faith would grow right now in the hearts of every believer, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.